Bibles to Romans chapter 16. That was good. The presence of the Lord is here. I've heard it said before that when the Lord really begins to show up in the church and he's doing something special there, that people won't want to be late. They don't want to be on time because they won't want to miss any part of the singing of the worship of the Lord. That's good. Romans chapter 16, we're only going to look at one verse today. At verse 25, we're not even going to cover all of it. The title of the message is, When You Need the Strength of God. When You Need the Strength of God. Let's read verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish, I want you to write out beside the word establish, the word strengthen, that's another Translation. Some of your Bibles may translate it that way. The word established can also be translated strengthen. Now, him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. You'll stop right there. That's what we're going to cover today. How many of you young folks play baseball? Raise your hand. Play baseball? Magna raise your hand. It's good. You know, I coached uh, high school sports. I coached high school football and basketball and baseball. And I, I, I however, coached baseball and basketball from Little League on up, so all the way through to high school. And one of the things I learned from my coaching career, if you want to call it that, is that coaching baseball is by far the hardest. You're here. I know some of you guys coach Little League Baseball. That is the hardest sport uh, there is to coach. And the reason is, it's the hardest sport there is to play. Did you know that? Uh, baseball is what has been come to be called in our family the sport of failure. If you play baseball and you get to bat, the odds are against you you're probably going to fail. Let me try to explain. If you've ever heard of batting averages, if you know anything about how those are kept in a batting average in the major leagues, the professionals, the MLB, a, the average batting average for the league is 300, which means that he gets three hits out of 10 at-bats, 30%. Think about that. He's professional. He's making his living by this. They're the best of the best, the best in the world, the MLB. And they're hitting 30%. Now, the best of all time was Babe Ruth, if you didn't know that. And his batting average was 670. Nobody's ever touched that since then. That means he was getting about seven hits out of 10. But the average is 300. In high school, the average, the batting average is 250. That means one quarter, one fourth. They get four at bats, which is what we would usually get in the high school game. They would get one hit in a game. Usually three outs, one hit. They're failing. In Little League, it's less than that. I, I, I'm just guessing nobody's run statistics on Little League that I know of. In Little League, it's probably about 100 or less. You've got some kids who'll never get a hit in the game all year long. All year. And so their, their batting average is about 10%. So 90% of the time, these little five, six, seven, eight-year-old boys trying to play baseball, 90% of the time, they're failing. And you talk about something hard to coach. I can't tell you how many little, little boys have come out of the batting box, just struck out, tears running down their cheeks, I don't look bad again, coach. <laughs> because they failed. I want you to recognize that the Christian life is eerily similar. There are people who come to church on Sunday. I'll say it this way. There are some people who come to church every Sunday. And they feel like a failure. Like they've not been successful in their weeks living before the Lord. I hope in this message we can see some hope in, in what the Lord is able to do. Let's look at it. Verse 25. 
Now to him who is able to strengthen you. It starts by saying that God is able. I put more definitions in your notes that I handed out today because I wanted you to, uh, to get a hold of this, especially today. God is able. The word able here comes from the word dynamite, the English word dynamite, where we get the word power. It, I've told you this many times as we've been in Romans where he says uh, the power of the gospel in the beginning of Romans. It's that dynamite, explosive power of the gospel. This word able is a transition of that same word dynamite, and it means to be able to do something, to have the power to do something. So it's the power to do it plus the ability to do it, and you put those together and that means with God's power, you're able. Or by God's power, it's possible. In the Greek translations, it literally gives these two options. To be possible, to be impossible. So it's, it's possible or it's not possible. And so if you said uh, God is able, that means it's possible. If you said you are not able, that means it's impossible. And so... The basis of it in verse 25 when it says God is able, it means that by God's power, it can be done. I want to give you some biblical examples of where this word is used to help you better understand it. The first one is, the first two I'm going to give you is from the examples are from possible. It's in the positive. Matthew chapter 3 verse 9 says, And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able... To raise up children to Abraham from these stones. The, the, the words is able there is the same words from our past passage in Romans. And it's saying that God is so powerful that if you think, how's Abraham going to get these children? He's so old. And the Bible says, if God wanted to, he could raise up children from stones. You say, well, that's absurd. Well, is it? He made us from dust. <laughs> what is dust? It is crunched up stones. <laughs> So for God to say, I can make Abraham children of stones is not absurd at all. It's what he's already done. And so it is saying that this seems impossible to you that this old man Abraham could have children. But I'm saying to you that with God, he's able to raise up from stones children for Abraham if he wants to. Let's look at another one. Mark chapter 1 verse 40. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, Lord... You can make me clean. Those words translated there, can make, are the same words as able in our passage. In other words, I am a leper. If you've seen a leper or somebody with that kind of sickness, it is overwhelming to just look at. And people are running from him. They don't want to touch him. They don't want anything to do with him. And he runs to Jesus, kneels at the feet of Jesus, and says, Lord, if you will, if you're willing... You have the power. You can make me clean. If you remember the story, Jesus says, I will be clean. And he was clean. And so God is able. I'll give you two verses where it talks about it not being possible or not able. First one is Matthew chapter 5, verse 36. Nor shall you swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black. The words cannot make there are the words are basically impossible or not able. Uh, you cannot determine the, the hair of your the color of your hair. Now I know nowadays we have dyes and things like that, and you, you say, "Well, I can." Well, you can't from the root <laughs> as it comes out. You cannot make it a different color. You can't strain real hard and say, "I want to be black-headed and begin to grow black hair," or you, or you can't, in my case, strain real hard and say, "I want to grow hair." <laughs> Another one is Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. It says, Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? It's talking about his height. Which of you, by worrying, can make yourself one inch taller? You cannot do that. You are not able, it's not within your power to make yourself taller. He's starting this passage in Romans by saying, now to God, or to Him, who is able. Now before we go any further, I want to give you the context of these verses we're looking at. And 
To do that, I want you to look down at verse 27 with me. We didn't read it early, earlier. It says, To God alone, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. If you know much about the Bible and about the these type of words where it begins to talk about God and His glory. This is what the Bible refers to as a doxology. You heard that word before? The word doxa means glory. It's this, this, these closing statements about the glory of God. And there are several great ones in the Bible. I'll give you three of them. The first one is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. When he gives a doxology, listen to what he says about the Lord. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen to John's doxology in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's pretty good one, isn't it? Here's, a, here's a, a good one in Jude, the end of the book of Jude, chapter uh, 1 chapter, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy... To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Those are all good doxologies. In verse 27 of our passage in Romans, he says, To God alone, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. So this verse 25 then is in the context of a doxology. In other words, it is in the context of God is being praised or glorified in the conclusion of the book of Romans. We're, we're right here at the end of it. And he's going to say something about God that brings him glory, something that's so majestic about the Lord. And Romans, if you've not gathered this from us going through the book of Romans, Romans is one of the most doctrinal books of the Bible. It has so much deep doctrine in it, and I've enjoyed going through it. I hope you have. And so coming to the end of Romans, above all other books of the New Testament, you would think this doxology would be so profound, so deep, so big in pronouncing this great glory about God. And, and Paul could have gone in any direction. I gave you three examples of directions. And it mentioned things like creation, and Paul could have ended Romans and discoursed, discoursed on the creation of God to his glory. And even if he took the first statement, God is able, he could have went from there, our God is able, and he could have went from there to anywhere to, to give glory, glory to God. He could have said, our God is able to rule the nations. That's a great glorious statement because he is. He could have said, our God is able to raise Jesus from the dead. That would have been a good doxology. He could have said, our God is able to gather to himself uh, people from every nation, tribe, and language, and he's also able to prepare a place in them for them in heaven to live throughout eternity in, in the glory of the Father. He could have even said, just our God is able to save, something like that. These would have all been great doxologies, but the doxology that Paul is going to choose to use in verse 25, he's going to say, now to him or God who is able to strengthen you. That's what he's going to say. This is what's glory to God. This God who has the power, the ability to strengthen you and me. I don't know about you, but I know me. <laughs> Do you know you? I know me. Do you know you? That is a statement, isn't it? He is able to strengthen you and to strengthen me. Glory to God. Oh, the glory of God. You say, what glory? The glory to be able to make me strong in Him. The ability to cause me to be strong in the Lord. That is glorious to Him. Just kind of show you where we're going, then we'll back up and go there, all right? Verse 25. 
God is able to strengthen you according to two things. According to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Here's how he's going to do this glorious thing in your life. He's going to strengthen you, make you strong by the gospel and by the preaching of Jesus Christ. Let's look a little bit deeper at this word strengthen you. It's established in the New King James, my version, establish you. I give you three definitions in your notes. These are Greek definitions. It means to set your position, to fix, to set fast. It's used sometimes in the context of saying somebody stood strong. That's what it means, to establish you. kind of gives you a hint of that. It's also, also translated to strengthen you. It means to make you strong in something. Usually when the term make strong is used in the Bible, it's not talking about physical strength. It's talking about faith. It's talking about belief. It's talking about make you strong to believe something and not waver on it, to know God loves you, to know God loves you and never doubt it, to be strong in the faith that God loves you and never doubt it. That's what it means when it says to be strengthened. And then the third way it's used is to render constant something set in your mind, so set by belief that you could say you're established on these principles. You're established on this belief. And so I'm going to just take a couple of those, uh, the first two, and, and that's going to be our, our basis that we'll go from to fix or set fast cause you to stand and then to strengthen you because understanding that both of these have to do with the context of your mind being constant in belief about something. So let's look at the first one. He says, I'm going to, God who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel. He's going to strengthen you through the gospel. So I define the gospel. This is my own definition. I, you could define it. Try to include things I thought necessary in this definition. The word gospel literally means Good news. That's if you translated this word gospel in English, it would be the words good news. And so what is this good news that is preached everywhere, this thing we call the gospel? It is this. Jesus came, lived sinless, and died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sins so that you could be forgiven and saved. Saved to live as God's child with all God's love and favor on your life from that moment to eternity. So that's the gospel. And so he's saying here that God is able to make you strong according to the gospel. That is, through the gospel or from the gospel. And so I want you today to get strong in the gospel. Get strong from the gospel. In other words, know who you are in the gospel. Know where your life fits into that story, that good news. Get strong today in believing the grace of the gospel is heavy on your life. I can prove it to you. You're here today. That's one proof. When Jesus chased you down, as, as, as disobedient and running from him as you was, he chased you down and he caught you and he said, you need to be saved. Your sins need to be forgiven. That is a proof of his grace and his bringing you to the gospel. But now you're to be fixed in the gospel. That's what this word also translated established, to be set in the gospel. And so this is a mindset that, that should permeate your life. You are a sinner saved by grace. Own that. Know that. When did God save you? When you were sinful. And if you are sinful now, you still need the same God and the same gospel to work in your life that you did back then. And so now God loves you. Now God's favor is on you. Now God's pleasure is on you. Now God's hand is on you. Here's where the problem comes. Something circumstantially goes wrong. You get sick. We went through that. If you have financial troubles... You have a relationship problem. I mean, you could go on and on. Somebody attacks you. And in, in this, this discomfort of these different circumstances or harsh circumstances, you want to move outside the gospel and you're going to, you're going to begin to 
listen to the whispers of the devil and say, God's not for me. God's not on me. God's not favoring me or pleased with me because look what's happening in my life. But our God is able to prove to you, even in your worst circumstances, that he's for you. If you're in bad circumstances and you don't believe that, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to stay there until you do believe that. <laughs> that sounds really mean, but that's the truth. Do you catch that? If you're going through something hard right now and you've decided to shake your fist at God and say, God's not for me. God doesn't love me. He's probably going to leave you there longer until you get it. That you can be in the most difficult of days and know the favor of God is upon your life. You ever had somebody that you knew they loved you. You knew they loved you. And they were really good at letting you know they loved you. you, you, you think of that person. You, maybe it's your grandma. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's a friend. Do you know that God not only loves you, but he has given the gospel this story to convince you that he loves you over and over throughout your whole life. He has caused this gospel to be spread abroad around the world. So that people like me and you would know that God loves us and that God is for us. The gospel is like a love letter from the Lord. He's saying to you, I love you. I took you when you were a lost, sinful creature. And now you're mine. And I'm going to love you from now throughout all eternity. Be fixed in the gospel. Be set in the gospel and be strong from the gospel. The story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The second thing he says here in verse 25 is he's going to strengthen you according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's going to use the preaching of Jesus Christ to make you stronger. When I was coaching Little League, I, I, was, I had an assistant coach one time, Justin, and I was coaching his boys at the batter's box. And I was telling these, these young boys, I was saying, you can hit, and they're standing up there. You can see them. They're scared. You know, they're shaking. They're scared. The ball comes by, and they don't even swing. They're really scared. Not even, not even able to stand properly. They know what to do, but they can't do what they know to do because they're so defeated already. You, if you, you've been to a little league baseball game, you've seen this. And so I call time out. Bring this little boy over to the sideline, and I say, "You man, you are a good hitter." You can hit that ball. I want you to go in there and believe you can hit. The dad approached me during the timeout, came onto the field, came to me and said, don't talk to my son like that. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I don't want my son to live off of positive thinking. I said, well, he's not doing very well off negative thinking right now. I'm just trying to turn his mind a little bit, you know, help him think a little better. And uh, I learned something that day, though. He was right in the sense, but very wrong in, in a bigger sense. He was right in the sense of that positive thinking is not enough in the game of baseball. Just thinking you can hit, that your coach believes in you or your mama believes in you is not enough in the game of baseball. I realized that in coaching, I needed to get these kids into a batter's box, which is a bat cage. It's not a game. Fenced in or netted in area where they can hit the ball, and I need to pitch to them until they can actually hit the ball. My arm is hurt today from it. I can't throw very well today because I've pitched so much to little kids throughout my life coaching baseball. But what I learned is I've got to get them in the cage where I'm pitching to them, and I'm pitching it to the right place, and they can hit the ball enough times, and I can change their elbow or their arm or their grip. I can teach them something. It helps them swing better or stand better, and they actually hit the ball a lot in the batting cage. That percentage we gave earlier, uh, batting less than 100 in Little League in the batting cage, even a Little League player, I can have them batting 600 or 700, 7 out of 10 balls. They're putting the bat on the ball. So when he quits batting from the batting cage and he comes out of there, in his mind, he knows he's fixed something because he's learned something from his coach. And he comes out of there believing he is a batter. 
He can hit the ball. And so then when he gets in the game, he's standing there in the game thinking, I can hit the ball. It's not just positive thinking. He has learned something from his coach. He's practiced it in the batter's box, and now he's able to hopefully do it in the game. Christianity is not a lot different. Many of you are struggling to live the Christian life. And, and if you're not getting preaching, where, where somebody's taking the word of God and explaining it to you and applying it to your life, if you're not getting preaching, you know what you're tempted to do? You're tempted to just be religious. Yeah. In all your failures, the answer that you have in your mind is try harder, be better, do more, work harder, but that's not getting you anywhere, and you're not being successful in that. So in your mind, you're defeated, you're a failure, you're a weak Christian, you're a no-good Christian. God's put you on the shelf. I've had so many church members and Christians throughout my life as a pastor say to me the similar things I got from the little kids batting is, I can't do it. I can't be that woman. I can't be that man. I can't be a wife like that. I can't be a husband like, like that because they have failed so many times they cannot see what it would look like to be successful in their life. They believe it's possible for that woman at church or, or that man at church, but they don't believe it's possible for them to do it. And God says that he is able through preaching to make you strong. If I could make a comparison there, it's like you getting the word explained to you. And so that your biblical foundation changes, your view of who God is and your view of who you are in God changes to the degree that you get up from that place and you go forward striving to live for the glory of God. And so you learn more truths about God and how he views you, and now you can go on living even sometimes from a place where you have failed. I want to illustrate this kind of preaching. Uh, and to do so, I want to try to preach to you a couple more verses that use these terms, God is able, okay? This, this word from our passage. The first one is Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. And this, this is where it is not possible. It's used in a negative sense. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He gives us this long list of things and he says these things are not able to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. You who have had a hard week, who have struggled in your faith this week, who have struggled circumstantially this week, maybe you got some bad news this week, maybe you just flopped in sin this week, you need preaching that brings out truths from the Word of God like this that states the ability of God to love you is so great it cannot be broken by death, by life, by angels, by principalities or powers, things present, things to come, height or depth or any other created thing, none of these things are able to separate you from the love of God. Amen. And so that preaching of a verse like that, even though you may have in the game, so to speak, this week struggled, your average wasn't so good, you need the preaching of Jesus Christ to strengthen you you even want to keep going sometimes. You ever been there? Let me give you another one. It's from the aspect of the positive. Possible, the present. The, the positive side. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And so here, it is this power of God. He has the ability to do in your life Exceedingly, abundantly, above. Those three words, they all build on each other. Exceedingly, abundantly, above. All that you would ask or think. You say, I'm, I'm not even really praying right now. I'm hurting so bad. I'll, I'll promise you this. 
You're thinking. You're thinking, if only God would. You're asking, maybe not out loud, but in your heart, in your mind, you're asking things. And it says here that God is able to work in your life. Look at what it says in the end of the verse. By the power that works in us, he has the ability to work in your life even above what you ask, above even what you think. How so? Abundantly. Exceedingly above what you would ask or think. If you're going through something and you've been you've been near kin to a beggar, begging God to do something, pleading with God to do something, you haven't seen it yet. It hasn't come to fruition yet. You've not experienced it yet. You're still in this position of suffering. You feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. Our ceiling here is a pretty good height. I'm glad it's as tall as it is, Ronnie. But I've, uh, Cindy and I, when we were in school, we visited a church that the ceiling was about nine feet high, about right here, in the, in the worship area. I couldn't go there. We went one time. I said, we can't go back. I couldn't worship there because everything seemed to hit the ceiling right there. And, and sometimes you feel that way about your prayers. You're praying and it's just hitting the ceiling. It's not making its way to God. This verse says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly about, above anything you've asked or thought. And He's doing it even though you're not seeing it. It's going to come to pass even though it hasn't come to pass. And the preaching of Jesus from the Word of God like that strengthens you. Let me give you a final one. This one includes both positive and negative uses of the word able. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you. Notice that. Temptation overtaken you, taken a hold on you, except such as is common to man. In other words, everybody else has got problems too. That's what it's saying. You, you, you're whining about your temptation and your struggle or your sin, it's common to man. Everybody here has struggles. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. That's our word. You are able. He will not. He has the power to keep you from a temptation stronger than you. That's what he's saying. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear. He has the power to make you able to overcome that temptation. That's what he said. He has the ability to work in your life to overcome that temptation. There's no greater display of the power of God working in your life than the power to overcome sin. Do you know that? He says, look what he said. Look at the verse again. He says, but God is faithful who will not allow. What kind of God is it? He's a faithful God. He will not allow temptation beyond what you are able. He is a faithful God. He will make a way of escape and you will be able by the power of God to overcome it. God strengthens you by the preaching of Jesus Christ. We're going to application. I just have... I just have two, two points. One, God is able to stand or fix you in the gospel. To fix your position in the gospel where you are established and you stand knowing who you are in the kingdom of God. Knowing who you are as God looks at you. I'm going to stay with my baseball illustration. You'll bear with me a little longer. Today's about baseball. It's free, all right? When we were in high school, Titus, my oldest son, he, he batted first. He was the first batter. One of the reasons he was the first batter is because he was really fast. And he would steal bases. His senior year, I'm bragging on him a little bit. He's not here. I wouldn't do it if he was here. His senior year, he led the state in stolen bases. He had more stolen bases than anybody in the state of North Carolina. He was third in the nation with 63 stolen bases in the year. <clears throat> That's pretty, pretty big. So you want him first batter. And he's batting first, and what we 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 did this in high school. First pitch, there we go. All right, the first pitch, he would steal second base. Hello. 
power come on when the power comes back on? All right. So on the first pitch, he was still second base. On the second pitch, he was still third base. All right. I'm getting there. And then we had our number two batter who had a really high batting average, and he would just hit the ball and we'd score by the second bat. We would do this most, most games. But there was one particular game uh, early in high school baseball where Titus had a really bad game. He was, he, I don't think he got on base all his at-bats. So I had another guy's coaching with me, and he comes to me the next game, and he's going to move Titus from batting first to batting ninth. He wants to move him to the bottom of the batting order. If you know anything about coaching, that's a long way from first to ninth. That's, uh, that's not a good thing to do. And I, I kind of pulled him aside. Thankfully, I saw it before Titus did, and I said, look, you can't do that. He goes, why can't I do that? I said, well, number one, he just had one bad game. <laughs> but, but number two, you're going to crush him. Mentally, you're going to crush him if you move him from the first position to the ninth position in the batting order. And, and he, he will hit good maybe the rest of the year if you do that. Because mentally, that's going to say you don't believe in him. And I know this about Titus. If you know this about, if you know Titus, you know this to be true too. He knew his batting average better than any coach did. He was fully aware he struck out or whatever he did. He, he was fully aware of his own failures in batting. Just as you are in the Christian life. I don't need to come to you and, and point out all your sins. Somebody in this church doesn't need to come to you and point out all your sins. You're fully aware of your problems, aren't you? You're fully aware where you fail, where you're defeated. And what happens is you've lived, if you've lived in a life of defeat for a, 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 a little while or even a repetitious life of defeat, what you begin to do is you begin to assume that God's the kind of God who's going to move you from first place to ninth place. He's the kind of God who's going to put you on the shelf and no longer use you or touch you or anoint you or maybe even love you. And some people have been defeated as a Christian so long that in their mind they view themselves as a lesser Christian than everybody else in the church. Some of you moms view yourself as a lesser mom than other moms because you have failures that you're fully aware of. And you think God has put you in a lesser position because of your failures. God doesn't operate like that. When God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you in your sins, he made you his number one. How do I know that? He gave his number one son for you. His firstborn son he gave for you to make you his number one. And you say, but I messed up or I did this or I did that. You're still his number one today. He's going to keep you in this position of his favor, in this position of his grace, in this position of his gospel from now through eternity. And you'll never mess that up. I'm not saying that there's not consequences for sin. But I am saying you are constantly positioned in a place of God's grace by the gospel of Jesus from now to eternity. God's grace and God's gospel does not change. You were saved by his grace and you now must live by that same grace. You were positioned or fixed in a position of favor with God and you will stay in a position of favor with God. I don't care what's going on in your life. God loves you and he's going to continue to love you. God is for you. He's going to continue to be for you. His pleasure and favor is upon your life, and it's going to continue to be upon your life. He is for you. He loves you. Be fixed. Stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't be shaken, no matter what. Number two, an application. Like we get it in before the alarm. God is able to strengthen you by preaching. So many people are ready to quit. And you think God's given up on you. I remember preaching, uh, coaching Little League. And the, hard, the reason I 
say baseball is the hardest sport to coach is because these little league players, in, at least in the batting area, they're going to fail and fail and fail and fail. And if you're going to coach and lead these little kids, you're, you're going to lead a team of failures. And you've got to be able to coach them in such a way that they don't believe their failures and live like failures and bat like failures. I saw this happen in Little League so many times. One of the, some of the best players in Little League baseball that would make all-stars every year, by about the second or third year, they quit the game. They wouldn't play anymore. Maybe their dad couldn't even say why. Maybe back then I couldn't say why, but I can today. They quit the game because they couldn't handle the failure of the game. Many of them went on to play other sports because there wasn't so much failure in other sports as there was in baseball. I learned as a coach as I grew up with the kids coaching that we had to have so much time in the cage to hit the ball enough so that when they got in the game, the game didn't overwhelm them by their poor batting average. We would go to the cage always. You gotta get in there and hit the ball and practice and hit the ball and hit and hit and hit till you believe you're a hitter. You come out of the cage, you know you're a hitter. You go into the game, you go one for four, you don't think you're very good. Let's get back in the cage. We played a doubleheader one time, and a doubleheader means you play one game, and as soon as it's over, you play another game. We played a doubleheader one time. We had the game. All my guys bad. Okay, you know, normal batting average, about 200, 250. We did good. I think we won the game. We start the next game, we can't hit the ball for nothing. You know why? Everybody during the first game paid attention to their batting, and now they believe they're bad, and nobody can hit the ball. So we always played our doubleheaders with 30 minutes in between. And while that 30 minutes, the other team's getting snacks and laying around and resting, you know where we're in between those games? We're in the batting cage, hitting balls again. We're transforming their mind. So in the first game, they feel like they can't hit. We get back in the cage, hit the ball. Hit the ball. Hit the ball. We come into the second game believing we're hitters. And we win the game. The Christian life is so eerily similar. It is like many of you want to quit coming to church because you haven't been good while you weren't at church. You know this? I can't tell you how many people I talk to, they say, I just don't feel like I can go to church anymore. I'm not living for the Lord, and so the last place I want to go is to the Lord's house. We got it backwards. You got to get back in the Lord's house to be able to go back out there and live for the Lord in this old dark world any longer. If you compare baseball to church week, okay, let's do this for a second. In baseball, the players fail 70% of the time. If we compare that to a week, 70% of a week is five days. That means five days out of the week, you're not very successful as a Christian. Somebody could say amen, but don't. You might say, oh, me. <laughs> then you got Saturday. We'll give that as a freebie. And then you got Sunday. That's when we have church. That's your batting cage. You're getting under the preaching, under the gospel again. You need it desperately. What happens if you miss church that week? You got 10 or 11 days. Now, feeling like a failure. Like you can't be strong enough. You're defeated as a Christian. You're not, you're not bold when you come to talk to your friends. You're not standing up for Jesus in this old world because you feel like you're defeated. Who am I to speak for Jesus? I'm already defeated. That's why you need church. That's why you need the gospel. That's why you've got to get some preaching into your life to strengthen you, to change your mind. To get your focus off you and your failure and your focus on Jesus and his grace and his glory and his love for you. You need at least once a week. I think you need much more than that to be strengthened by the preaching of the gospel. You remember the story of the prodigal son? He finally came home after living for a while in sin. The father in that story, I remind you, is a picture of God. That's the reason Jesus told the story, is to give us this picture of God, the father. It says, the father saw him from afar and came running to him. He fell on his neck and he kissed him and he 
put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and shoes on his feet. Can you picture that in your life? I wonder how many of you walking to these doors on a Sunday morning can picture the Father running to meet you. He's running to you. He's saying, I'm so glad you're here to kiss you, to fall on your neck. That's a hug. And to put a ring on your finger, that's ownership. It means he's saying, you are mine. To put a robe on your back, that's ownership. That's him saying, everything that I have is yours. To put shoes on your feet, that's him saying, stop walking in the mud with the pigs and start walking with clean shoes in the Lord now. You need to hear this preached to you. I've learned this as a pastor. I, I learned it maybe even as a coach. It's hard to live for Jesus. It's a fight a and a struggle to live obediently to the Lord. You must hear stories like the prodigal son so that you can see the father running to you, kissing you, putting a ring on your finger, a robe on your back, and shoes on your feet. Because you must know God loves you. God loves you. He said Jesus because he loves you. You say, well, yeah, I remember one time I was the prodigal son. No, no, no. You're over and over the prodigal son. You're coming again and again to hear the, the word preached that will preach the grace and the gospel of Jesus to you. I need to envision the Father running to me every week, putting a ring on my finger and a robe on my back. He loves me. It says in verse 25, Now to God who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. A lot of people nowadays are falling out of church, barely come, no longer believe that God's grace is fit for them. They're so bad. We've turned church into a Spectator sport from the internet now, predominantly what it is. And we're not experiencing the experience that the prodigal son had of the father falling on your neck. How many times have you come to church feeling so unworthy and you get here and God seems to sit down beside you and say, you're mine, you're mine. I loved you the whole time. I'm not going to stay away from you while you're in my house. I'm going to sit beside you while you're in my house. That's the strengthening power of God. And it's to his glory. I want to encourage you with this thought. I'm not trying to impose any sort of religion on you, and I hope you don't take from what I'm about to say anything like that. But it is the glory of God that he is strengthening you. And if you're out there just living a defeated life, you're, you're dishonoring his glory. He has the power to make you strong in his gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He has the power to do that. He has the power to change your life. And that's what the world will notice. When they see your family, when they see you as a mom, when they see you as a dad or a husband, that's what the world will notice. gospel and the Jesus that loves us even when we're not worthy. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for the one here today who's so broken hearted and came here feeling so far from you. I pray more that you would reestablish their faith, fix them in the gospel, they'd not be shaken to know that you're for them, your grace is upon them, and that Jesus died for them, and that you love them. I pray, Father, for us to be strengthened by the preaching of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you use me to do that in people's lives? Would you use this church to do that in people's lives, to proclaim the grace of Jesus Christ that would bring about Strong men and women, boys and girls, confident in the Lord, speaking boldly in the Lord and walking in confidence in the Lord for the glory of God. 
Let that be the glory that comes from this church, Father. Strong men, women, boys and girls who know they stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Father, let it be true for my family, for my boys and my girls. Let it be true for our families here. Strengthen us by the power of the gospel. Every time we gather, Lord, would you pray with me now as I pray? Every time we gather, Lord, let it not be wasted time. Let the power of God come strongly to strengthen us in the gospel for the glory of God. Every time. Lord, grow our music, grow our preaching, grow the way we start and stop and organize our service, all for the glory of God, that the power of God would change lives as we have a service here today. Lord, we don't need electricity today, but we do need you. We need your spirit to move among us. When people are hurting and they can't say they're hurting, when people are broken and they can't say they're broken, we need the move of the spirit of God to change hearts and minds for the glory of God. Things we can't see, but you're fully aware of. Things we can't touch, but you can touch in a moment. We pray for the power of God to come strong in every service, Lord, for the glory of God. Draw people here, Lord. Draw people that haven't even been invited here, Lord, that they can be moved by the power of God for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? All right, everybody, we'll be singing Mighty to Save.